The Netherlands is an economic powerhouse. They were ranked 16 in the world in terms of GDP in 2015. By all standards, the country is rich, just like Singapore. So you expect that the Prime Minister of the Netherlands to travel about in a luxury car. I mean, that would be fitting, right? For the leader of a wealthy and powerful country. Yet the Prime Minister of the Netherlands, pictured here, I think he's the man on the left. Okay? He is never driven in convoys. He arrives for state meetings on a bicycle. <laughs> and in 2012, Netherlands Prime Minister Mark Rutte he shocked the Iranian delegation when he arrived to meet them on a bicycle. Later, a member of the Iranian delegation, you can, remember, you can imagine that Iranians are you know, all serious and all, told a local TV in Tehran how they were ashamed when they saw a prime minister of a European country driving to his office on a bicycle. And they were not alone. In 2014, the African media, Kenyan media, reported that they were shocked, shocked that PM Mark Rutte cycles to work. Our culture expects our presidents and our prime minister to arrive in style, in a luxury car that fits their status. However, what the Bible tells us is different. We see something entirely different in Matthew 21, verse 1 to 11, we see Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, arriving not on a, in a Bentley, but on a bicycle. He shatters our expectations. Jesus enters Jerusalem, not on a war horse, but on a baby donkey. But where are we in this story? Before we jump into today's passage of God's Word, where are we in this story? The four Gospels are essentially passion accounts, stories that tell of the suffering and death of Jesus Christ on the cross, but with extended introductions. In Matthew's Gospel, where we'll be today, he introduces us to Jesus the Messiah who fulfills Old Testament prophecies, who fulfills Old Testament promises. And in the previous chapter, in Matthew 20, we see Jesus travelling to Jerusalem, and at the end of this chapter, we see Jesus healing two blind men. They recover their sight. And there's a little bit of irony here because these two blind men cease, but as we shall see later, the crowds who are welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem, they are really blind to who Jesus really is. And in today's passage in Matthew 21, verse 1 to 11, many of our Bibles title this section, what? The Triumphal entry. Yes, it is, but uh, again, not really, as we shall see. And from verse 12 and following, Matthew's gospel shows Jesus' judgment on the temple and the religious institutions. And then he also tells us of Jesus' subsequent conflict with the Jewish religious leaders. And this finally leads to Jesus' trial and crucifixion. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me to Matthew 21. Matthew 21 verse 1 to 11. If you are a visitor and you don't have a Bible, please feel free to borrow a pew Bible. These are for your use, not to bring home, but for your use right now. Today's passage is on page 
826 of the Pew Bible. Are you ready? Matthew 21, verse 1. Now when they, draw, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a coat with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a coat, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought, they brought the donkey and the coat and put them on them their cloaks, and he, meaning Jesus, sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth, Nazareth of Galilee. Jesus is our king who comes to his people. Act 1, Act 1 of today's stories, the king comes. In verses 1 to 5, we see Jesus coming not as a conquering king, but as a humble king who brings peace. We see it in the story, Jesus entered the village of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. On his way to Jerusalem, there, Jesus gave instructions to two of his disciples. He sent them to fetch a donkey and a coat, or a baby donkey, in Bethage. And if anyone should ask what was going on as they were retrieving the donkey and the coat, he directs them to say that the Lord needs them and he will send the animals at once. You know, when I drive in other countries, I make special efforts to take note of the road signs. They not only give instructions, but sometimes they give special information. And note verses 4 to 5. Matthew, as the gospel writer here, he's giving us a road sign. Matthew gives us an editorial insert. He gives us, as his readers, an insight. What did he say there? This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. That Matthew largely quotes from Zechariah, 9, 9, verse 5. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a coat, the foal of a beast of burden. What Matthew is doing here is that he tells us that Jesus deliberately fulfills prophecy from Zechariah 9, 9, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a coat. And when we see the New Testament quote, the Old Testament what is a good thing to do? It's always good to refer back to the original quote. So keep your finger on Matthew 21 and turn with me to Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah 9.9. This is what it says. 
Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a coat, the foal of a donkey. Hey, if you look carefully, do you see something amiss? Matthew 21, 1. It's not really a word-for-word -word quotation from Zechariah 9, 9. Did Matthew mess up? No. What Matthew did here was to give us a road sign. This is a road sign. He's given us special information by making some changes to his quotation. Zechariah 9.9 speaks of the salvation of Israel, introduces a section describing the coming of Zion's king. We see this in verse 9 to 13. This verses herald, this verses shouts out of the appearance of the Lord, who will restore Israel's beauty and grandeur. We see this in verses 14 to 17. Verse 9 itself speaks of that king. He who is righteous, bringing salvation, riding on a humble donkey's coat. However, the context here is not one of conflict and warfare, but of peace. Because we see in verse 10, He shall speak peace to the nations. So what, what Matthew is telling us about Zechariah 9.9 is this. Zechariah 9.9 looks forward to a future event that is right now taking place in Jerusalem. It looks forward to a person acting on God's behalf coming to Jerusalem, riding on a humble donkey to reign as king and to establish peace. Does this sound familiar? It should. Because Jesus fulfills all the above. The key idea in Matthew 21, 5 is clearly that Jesus deliberately fulfills the, uh, the promise of Messiahship. Is that Jesus deliberately fulfills, the, uh, make the claim to Messiahship. The secret that Jesus is the Christ, the promised Messiah, that was kept from the crowds for most of the Gospel of Matthew this secret was being lifted. The veil was being lifted. Jesus is the promised Messiah. But the road sign that Matthew was giving by pointing to Zechariah 9, which talks about peacemaking mixed with triumph over Israel's enemies, all this are lost on the crowd. They fail to realize who Jesus is. They fail to realize that Jesus comes not as a conquering king, but as a humble king who brings peace. Jesus comes as a king of peace. Jesus is our king who comes to bring peace. My friends, as the king's people, how are we portraying the king of peace to others? What will people say when they look at us, the king's church? Will they be able to see the king of peace who has come? Being a guy, being a single guy, most of my illustrations are male-dominated. So I'm trying to help, uh, trying to change here and grow here. So I'm going to make an illustration based off women and housewives. So bear with me. Sometimes we don't make much of our housewives and our miss, okay? Much of what housewives do is hard to quantify in terms of dollars and cents. 
after all, you know, the businesses and companies around us, the bottom line is often calculated in financial terms. We mistake the value of the work housewives do. So what I, do is, what I did was I recently came across an article on a UK website that attempted to put together an annual salary package for housewives for the work they do. So women, you can sit, you know, uh, sit with your back up, you know, be a little proud here as I go through the list. Although I won't go through the entire list, I'll, it's quite a long list, but I'll just pick two, okay? The first is private chef. It's fair to say that housewives earn the title of head personal chef, often cooking most of the meals for a family. And according to the National Career Service in UK, private chefs can expect to earn £30,000 a year. Not bad, right? But that's not the only thing housewives do. The second is laundry and ironing. Okay? A professional laundry and ironing service will cost almost £3,700 a year for typical household washing. And can you guess how much annual salary housewives deserves? Considering all the cooking, the cleaning, the nursing, the childcare, plus counselling and work as a personal organiser for men who are disorganised, okay, housewives deserve annual salary of, wait for this, £159,137. Okay, that's not in Singapore dollars, that's in pounds, and this is calculated pre-Brexit. Okay? £160,000, that's what they deserve. Wow. We are certainly mistaken over the value of what housewives do. Act 2 of today's story. The crowds, I guess they were mainly men, they were also mistaken. Okay? The crowds had mistaken expectations of this coming king that was entering Jerusalem. Their expectations were shaped by their cultural expectations. The disciples did as Jesus instructed them. They brought Jesus the donkey and the colt. And instead of entering Jerusalem on a war horse, Jesus enters on a baby donkey. So instead of entering on a war horse like a conquering king, Jesus enters on a humble colt as a king who brings peace. And you need to almost picture the scene with me. Baby donkey, right? Jesus, a grown man, right? So it's almost a comical scene of Jesus riding a, law, a young donkey. You can imagine his legs almost dragging on the ground. This is certainly no picture of a triumphant king riding in on a magnificent war horse. Because our king of glory has come down to us, humbly riding on a baby donkey. But the crowds do not get it. Instead, the crowds of pilgrims on the way to Jerusalem lace their cloaks and branches on the roads, welcoming Jesus. Some in the crowd, they had probably seen Jesus' miracles. Others may have heard that he was a prophet. The sense of expectations of something huge happening was high. And the crowds all shouted with shouts of acclamation. And, the, and in reading from verse 9, this is what happens. And the crowd that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. 
Hosanna means, please God, save me. The crowd was using the language from Psalm 180. The crowd was calling for deliverance. But the deliverance they wanted was a liberation from the Roman Empire. They called Jesus the son of David, a messianic title. They had high hopes and messianic expectations. However, they seem to have mistaken expectations. Because subsequently, as we see in the Gospel of Matthew, they expected a nationalistic king who will liberate Israel from their Roman oppressors. But again, Jesus is no conventional Messiah. As a Bible teacher, Craig Bloomberg writes, the crowd's response suggests that they were looking only for a triumphal, nationalistic, or even militaristic king. Whereas Jesus enters Jerusalem entirely peacefully, humbly, willing to even submit to crucifixion. The story from Jesus and Matthew's perspective is more properly labelled the non-harmful. Although Christ's death will make spiritual salvation available for any who come to Him, that is not the kind of deliverance and salvation that the crowd in Jerusalem was seeking here. And that is why Matthew, in putting a sideboard for this uh, verse, omits righteous and victorious from his quotation of Zechariah 9.9. Because Matthew recognises that earthly triumph and power will come only at Christ's second coming. Because we see by the end of the week, it will be clear that Jesus coming to Jerusalem, to the city, despite leading to his own death, was actually God's coming to the city of Jerusalem in judgment. Condemning the counterfeit leaders spiritually, even as you'll judge the temple and city with physical destruction 40 days later. You see, Jesus comes not as the nationalistic king who delivers the Jewish people from their Roman oppressors, but as a king who brings peace to us all by defeating sin. Jesus is our king who comes down from heavenly glories to bring peace, not by slaying his foes, but by dying for us. Our, our expectations of Jesus accurate? Do, our, do we need our understanding of Jesus, who Jesus is, to be corrected? I'm dating myself with this. Despite the fact that some of you think that I'm still in, in my 30s and uh, how Uncle William and Auntie Yahoo always tease me and call me not to be naughty, I am in my 40s. So I'm dating myself with this. Do you remember the Malaysian Cup in the 1970s, 1980s, and 19, early 1990s? I'm citing this because, not because I really like soccer. No, I will occasionally watch soccer if my brother, who is an Arsenal fan, watches. And when he watches the football games on TV, occasionally I'll follow and just watch that. But in the days of the Malaysia Cup, when Singapore was playing against teams from Malaysia, in the days before and after, there'll be much talk and excitement over it. 
Some of you older ones, do you remember the famous Kalang Roar? Yes? Anybody? It was this Kalang Roar when the fans were stirred up and shouting that attracted my interest and attention. And as a result, I went to a national stadium not once, but twice, just to experience the Kalang Roar, just to watch the Singapore team play. Imagine that a non-football fan like myself going out of my way, squeezing with a crowd of 60,000 people just to watch a match. And we see the crowds with Jesus. They were shouting acclamation of Jesus as they entered Jerusalem. And as a result, the citizens of Jerusalem, they were stirred up. The crowd's interest and attention were attracted by the Kalang Roar, so to speak. They wondered about the excitement of the crowd. We read this in verses 10 to 11. And when they entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. Who is this? And the crowds said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The citizens of Jerusalem, they were stirred up by the response of the crowds to Jesus. And they, in turn, responded to Jesus' entry by asking, who is this? And we need to get this. Our response to Jesus will impact others' response to Jesus. If we are all excited about Jesus, if we are joyful about Jesus, this will arouse the curiosity of others. And they may end up asking, who is this Jesus? If we are bored with Jesus, if our response to Jesus is as, with as much joy and excitement as watching pain cry, then mm, no wonder people are not asking questions about Jesus. The crowds reply correctly, but incompletely. The prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. But Jesus is more than that. He's the king who comes to save through the cross. Doesn't this truth bring you wonder and cause awe in you? Jesus is our king who comes down to bring peace, not by slaying his foes, but by dying for us. So what does this mean for us? What does it mean for us? Firstly, who is this Jesus? Are you willing to find out? To my friends who are not yet believers, have you asked this question, who is this Jesus? Are you willing to find out? Even if you decide to finally reject Jesus, I hope you will reject the right Jesus and not some version of Jesus that is shaped by church traditions or practices that do not accurately portray who Jesus is. You do not have to switch off your mind. In fact, use all your training and reasoning to answer this question. Who is this Jesus? Find out for yourself. Explore. Ask questions and clarify your doubts. So if you're just visiting or you're a long-time church attender, sitting in a pew, and you have not received the gospel of Jesus Christ, I plead with you to ask the question, who is this man, Jesus? Perhaps today you're moved to ask this question. Then do ask your friends around you, 
ask your leaders in the youth ministry, in the young adult ministry, or any of the elders and pastors and leaders in the church. We'll be glad to walk along with you as you discover who is this Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Are we willing to make this Jesus known to our neighbours in McPherson? My church friends and family, even as we prepare to move back to the new church building in the second half of the year, are we willing to make this Jesus known to our neighbours in McPherson? Will we show compassion and love for our neighbours? Will we make sacrifices and steward the building and resources so that we can express generosity and care to our neighbours? And yes, even when the building gets a wee bit dirty and used, you know when buildings get used, they get dirty and run down, or even at times we're tempted to feel foolish, thinking that others are making use of us, will we be willing to do that? Will we be willing to adjust our schedules to free up time and space to help in the tuition ministry and other mercy ministries for the good of our neighbours? So that as we extend the love of God to others, we build relationships and we invite them to a community where they can see our excitement and joy in Jesus Christ. Perhaps as a result, they too will be stirred up they will ask in their mind, who is this Jesus? And then we can tell them of the love of God in Christ Jesus so that they too might know the peace, peace with God. Who, who is this Jesus? Our expectations, are our expectations of Jesus accurate? You know, most of us have these questions, even as I preach this message. And right questions. Why doesn't Jesus make things better for me right now? How can the defeat of sin bring peace? So what? What does peace really mean? Absence of conflict? Well, some of us may ask these questions. And the answers we land on will shape our expectations of Jesus. So who is this Jesus? Are our expectations of Jesus accurate? You know, Jesus just, don't just save you so that you can be healthy, wealthy, and wise. As we saw in our journey through Acts, when we receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, and when the Holy Spirit indwells us and start to change us, we Christians will start to be at odds with the rest of the world. We will start to live according to gospel culture, rather than the culture around us. And our lives will increasingly make a statement to the world, especially when out of our joy, we start to share who is this Jesus. We will start to face opposition and suffering, just as Pastor Yen preached last week. So Jesus may not make things better for us right now. He may or may not. But He promises that he will defeat sin. So what? It means that we who were once rebels, living in sin and being enemies of God, you know, picture that, having the king of heaven armies as our enemy, right? I don't want to be in that position. We rebels now can have peace with God. Romans 5.1 tells us, 
Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through faith in Jesus Christ and His work on the cross, a peace treaty has been signed in Jesus' own blood between God and man. And what does this peace really mean? An absence of conflict? No, it means peace with God, a reconciliation so that we are all reconciled into His family. We are adopted as His family. Imagine that. So it's not an absence of conflicts in our life circumstances, but a peace with God. Though sometimes the Holy Spirit may give us a sweet foretaste of this perfect peace that is to come in the new creation. For example, when you seem to have a difficult boss and face unfair oppositions, yet you experience a supernatural peace that surpasses all understanding. This comes to us as a grace gift of God. Finally, who is this Jesus? How is our church portraying the King of Peace? If Jesus is our King, who comes down to bring peace, not by slaying His foes, but by dying for us, how are we living as a church that shows others around us this picture, this portrait of Jesus? In our families, we all have conflicts with one another. Do not need to look away. I always assume this is a given in every family. Parents and children have generation gap and our individual sins tend to bum up against one another. But are we willing to make peace and reconcile with one another? Parents, are we willing to say sorry and initiate the peacemaking? After all, Jesus came down from heaven's glories to his people. Are we able, are we willing to come down to make peace? And children, the children among us, we are better, often better educated and more exposed to many ideas and technologies. But are you also willing to give up your pride and come down and say, I'm sorry, mum, or dad, please forgive me? even in our church, stay long enough in any community and our individual sins and blind spots will start to rub against each other in the wrong way. And if you don't want this to happen, the only way this doesn't happen is either we isolate ourselves, which is not possible, or we move from one church to another church when things start to get uncomfortable. And you realize the second option does little to help you mature in Christ. There will be disagreements, misunderstanding, hurts, and maybe even divisions as we kind of enroll others to our cause against the other. If we as a church seek to portray the King of Peace, then what? You all know the answer. Seek to make peace. Seek to be peacemakers. Wouldn't it be awesome if the next time you happen to hear talk from someone against another and you encourage the person to go with you, to go with you, 
to talk to the person he or she has conflicts with. But actually, in a conflict-adverse culture like ours, it will be incredibly difficult. But as people who have received the gospel, we are to seek to live in accord with a gospel culture. As the Holy Spirit shapes and empowers. And in making peace, you seek to reconcile brothers and sisters in Christ. So that as a church, we increasingly portray Jesus our King who comes down to bring peace, not by slaying his foes, but by dying for us. If Jesus is King, we must accept him as he comes to us in this age. While Jesus will come again on a war horse on the last day, until then, he comes gently on a donkey. He saves not by slaying his foes, but by dying for them. His goal is not simply to gain a claim, but for us to bow and serve and live for him because we love to do so. So we should receive him as king, as our spiritual leader, as lord of history, both now and forever. Let us pray. Father God, our God of peace, we give thanks for our Lord Jesus Christ, our King who comes down to bring peace by dying for us. We thank you that through faith in Christ, we have been justified and reconciled with you so that we can experience this peace with you. Lord, we pray that as we approach this Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, that we'll set aside time to think on and meditate on our King of Peace, King of Peace, Jesus our King, who comes down to bring peace, not by slaying his foes, but by dying for us. We pray that we have opportunities to share about this King of Peace so that others too might know the same peace. We pray too that as people of the King of Peace, we too might be peacemakers so that as a church, we'll make attractive this gospel of peace. In Jesus' name.